Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Every so often in the course of our show, we have been able to make certain observations and predictions. Tonight's classic episode is about one of those observations and predictions on the heels of our unfortunately ongoing series examining serial killers on the loose. We looked into the, the long-delayed identification arrest and conviction of a killer known as the Golden State Killer or the original Night Stalker. Oh, yeah, because this guy, James D'Angelo, he's only the first of a huge group of serial killers and other criminals who have been caught through the use of this type of DNA sequencing, you know, going through a family tree and finding out a a relative. We're going to get into the episode. It's fascinating stuff. So let's jump right in. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control, Deccan. But most importantly, you are you, you are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. This episode is going to be an update on some... It's an update that we hoped but never truly thought we would ever have the chance to do. This is very much a, uh, a, what, a what a time to be alive sort of of show. You may recall, longtime listeners, that a while back, when was it, Matt? May 2016. May 2016, we did an episode on what is known as the original Night Stalker or the Golden State Killer. And in this episode, we looked at the current research and investigation into those, uh, at the time, unsolved crimes, the various theories 
the the various leads that were taken up and later rejected by law enforcement and armchair investigators on specialized crime forums, on Reddit, all over the internet, including some of the authors who made it their life's work to hunt down this killer. Today, however, we're telling a very different story. Today, we are making it official. After decades of dead ends, tantalizing theories, and frustrating leads, justice may have finally caught up with the Golden State Killer. Before you listen to this episode, if you would like a deep dive into the crimes and the past investigation of the crimes of the Golden State Killer or East Area Rapists, as they were also known, uh, do check out our episode from May uh, 2016. We'll wait. Oh, man, that was a good one, wasn't it? Kind of a bummer, really. Yeah, but it was a fact-filled episode and lots of – Lots of avenues to investigate, but we we get a happy ending here. Is what is what is what this amounts to, right? Mm-hmm. Of happy, sorts, yeah. Ish. Ish. It's uh, there's definitely a light at the tunnel at the end of the tunnel. There you right? go. That's a better turn of phrase. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We hope we as a society make it to the light. Quick background for everybody who just sat quietly the way the three of us did in the studio while your fellow listeners were checking out that episode. From at least 1974 to 1986, California was plagued by a serial break-in artist, uh, a burglar, uh, later a rapist, and then finally a murderer who was known by several different names and was believed to be several different people for a time. The Visalia Ransacker, the Diamond Knot Killer, the Golden State Killer, the East Area Rapist, and uh, also the original Night Stalker, nowadays more often referred to as the Golden State Killer, I believe. Yeah, because the Golden State Killer encompasses all of these different crime sprees. And eventually... In the course of their investigation, law enforcement and independent investigators began to connect the dots and they said, we believe this is all the work of a single individual. So not copycatters, not a group operating in concert, although we do have a a bit of a rabbit hole about that, but a single man, a man who might never be apprehended until that is on April 25th. 2018, when authorities announced the arrest of a suspect named Joseph James D'Angelo Jr., a 72-year-old retired police officer. He was arrested on eight counts of first-degree murder based on DNA evidence, and more than 40 years since his criminal career began, the original Night Stalker would finally, maybe, be held accountable. This is the accumulation of countless of hours of police work, contributions and analysis by thousands and thousands of people, several of whom are doubtlessly listening to this podcast today, and in a very real sense, a lucky break. So so what happened? Can we look back over some of these original crimes? I think we must. Well, he, here are the facts then. Maybe we start with the Visalia Ransacker. And we do have to say, we are only at this point talking about documented crimes. As you've seen in previous shows, it is an unfortunate fact in the U.S. that many, many, many crimes do not get reported. Do you think that because of what's come to light that that we'll find out about more? Or do you think that's unlikely? You know, ideally – Ideally, there wouldn't be more to find, but realistically, there are probably some. It's just a safe thing to guess. The question then becomes, 
if we were talking about pre 1970s stuff, right? Were the authorities at the time collecting DNA? Does anything remain? I got you. you. Know? Yeah. So it's it's tough, but who knows? Also, uh, if it turns out, we should say D'Angelo has not been convicted yet. But if it turns out that he is uh, that he is convicted, and he already, from what we understand, confessed to several things, he may just go on and start naming more names and instances because he is, frankly, at the end of his life, one way or the other. Yep, as can often happen with these kinds of legacy crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, the Visalia Ransacker was a master burglar and break-in guy, believed to be responsible for more than 100 crimes, again, only the ones that we know of. The first ransacking that was recorded was on Tuesday, March 19th, 1974. And one thing that stood out to people was that he passed over a lot of high-value items, a lot of electronics, a lot of keepsakes and stuff. And instead, he stole about 50 bucks worth of coins from a piggy bank. That's so what that's what he took. Clearly something else at work here other than desire for monetary gain. Right, right, because there, there are pawn shops everywhere. He yeah. could have taken something and then pawned it. Uh, and made much more than $50. It's the key word here, ransack, right? Because this is about going through people's private things. Yes, just so. He was tearing houses apart, knocking over furniture, cutting stuff up, going in the closets, throwing out things, but he would only actually steal a few small items, trinkets, cufflinks. Keepsakes. Keepsakes. And he would also – probably the creepiest thing he would do is he would arrange items in what appeared to be almost a ritualistic fashion, you know, like women's underwear. Uh, He did steal weapons. He stole six weapons. He was prolific. He committed multiple break-ins in the same area on the same day. And he also set a record for that too. Yeah, he broke into 12 different homes in a single day on Saturday, November 30th, 1974. And at this point – Other than the strange arrangement of items, it looks like a a really creepy burglar, right? Until that is on September 11th, 1975, a man who is strongly believed to be the ransacker broke into the home of one Claude Snelling at 532 Whitney Lane. It's now South Whitney Street if you're familiar with the neighborhood. Claude caught someone trying to kidnap his daughter in their carport and this – Still unnamed person shot Claude twice and Claude died and the assailant fled. This became the first known murder linked to what we call the original Night Stalker. And this murder prompted him to leave town. So he's escalated already from ransacking to child snatching? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems that it seems like that was the course. It's it's pretty safe to say that if the daughter had been successfully kidnapped, she would have at the very least been assaulted. And then the murder, though, was a byproduct of being caught. Yes. The murder was more than likely a moment of panic to uh, – or perhaps in some sense meant to erase a witness. But it's probably not the primary intent. But the story of this man is one of escalation. So I just wanted to point that out and it's interesting that this this particular killing – I wonder if it's like what kind of gave him the taste or something like that. Or he's like, I, maybe I want to add this to my repertoire. You have to wonder too because we find often in serial murders, like in our 
previous episodes on uncaught serial killers, we do see this escalation. You know, someone starts with fires. Someone starts with uh, mutilations, right, or running by and slashing someone or uh, choking somebody. And then it builds and builds. But this killer was at this point still lucid enough to realize the dangers if they chose to stay in Visalia. So in mid-1976, he moves to Sacramento, and that's where he progresses fully from burglary and uh, murders, perhaps unintentionally, to sexual assault. So around June 1976, uh, our person here of interest moved to Sacramento, and this is when he's really progressing from burglary into sexual assault. Although, you know, he, he originally targeted these women who were alone. Usually that's what what his victim would look like. Um, they would be in their homes. Sometimes they would be with their children. And he would later prefer couples. Uh, somehow it switched from just a, a lone victim that he could attack to perhaps, like we were saying, the escalating thrill and whatever he was getting out of this mm-hmm. escalated to where he needed to have a, par- a partnered couple to where there is a male and female usually. And perhaps some of that is tied into his perception of the uh, unattainable nature of someone already in a relationship. Perhaps some of it is a, is a power move on his, on his part to yeah, make I someone don't. else witness helpless. It's spooky and disturbing stuff. He, his standard procedure uh, smacked of prior training. These weren't these may have been crimes of passion when he got there, but he did a lot of homework. Uh, he did extensive research. He would typically break in through a window and awaken someone with a, a flashlight and a gun so they can't clearly see him as well, and then bind the victims, blindfold them, gag them with towels from their own house, and he would typically force the female victim to tie up her male companion before he tied the female victim up himself. And he operated that way for from uh, for about a year, June to 76 to May 77. And he had a three-month gap. And then he returned in Sacramento and other counties. He had another three-month gap. And then he was operating in other counties until 1979. And from what the timeline shows, from June 18th, 76 to July 5th, 1979, he committed overall 51 crimes as the East Area Rapist. As the original Night Stalker, he committed seven known crimes with multiple homicides that marks his move from break-ins to rape to murder. So stay tuned. After a brief break for our sponsor, we will return and give you a grim introduction to the man known as Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. So there are a lot of great timelines that have come out so far, a lot of them pretty brief, but we stumbled upon one on Reddit that uh, Ben found, and we're just going to kind of go over this and hit some of the high points and low points in this man's life. Yeah, you can find uh, you can find this on the uh, East Area Rapist Original Night Stalker uh, subreddit posted by a user named Sacred Geometry. And I, I know it might sound uh, maybe a little cursory for the three of us to be citing this sort of source, but this person has done their homework extensively and we found quite a quite a thorough, robust timeline here that follows from the birth of D'Angelo to the arrest. He was born November 8th, 1945 in Bath, New York. Yeah. And just to jump on there with what Ben was saying, I linked up some of these dates just as a fact-checking exercise mm-hmm. and the Sacramento Bee has much of the same exact stuff on it. So, And shout out to the Sacramento Bee. They've been really leading the charge on reporting here. So he's born 1945. Then in 1964, he joins the Navy. He enlists there. And he goes into naval training uh, that same year in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And this is where he would have, as part of his training, learned a lot of knots that the average person would not – would either not be aware of or would not be able to do on command. Specifically like that diamond knot. Specifically like that diamond knot, Matt. Is that like a sheep shank? Was that some kind of like specialized sailing knot? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, found at several of the crime scenes. Well, I knew that, but I just, you know, is it a, is it a particularly tricky one? Uh, not tricky, just you wouldn't you wouldn't think to wouldn't make think a to knot that in way. that way. Got yeah. It. 
It's super interesting too when you, you know, there's such a long timeline of crime and now we have um, a person to associate with it. This timeline that we're looking at has photographs of him throughout his life, uh, which is really interesting just to visually trace his, you know, kind of progression and think about what he was doing at the time those photos were taken. Mm -hmm. Um, So he did in fact serve in the Vietnam War um, and then in August of 1968, he goes to Sierra College, which is in Rockland, California, and fascinatingly got an associate degree in police science. That that, that could come in handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he also attends later, uh, the year after he graduates with an associate degree in police science, he goes to CSU in Sacramento, uh, where he spends a year earning a bachelor's in criminal justice. And the same year he gets out of there in 1972, he has uh, he spends the next approximate year, uh, some, sometime during 1972 and 1973, he completes an internship in the Roseville Patrol. This this is interesting because at the time, if we look at the context, many police officers and law enforcement professionals did not have college education or higher education to this degree. Uh, not to mention an internship. So it's somewhat strange that we'll see this as his career continues. It's somewhat strange that he goes to smaller police forces. You know, he could have maybe written a ticket to Los Angeles or Chicago, but for some reason he stayed in these, in these smaller areas. Uh, The same year uh, wherein we believe he completes his internship He joins the Exeter Police Department on their burglary task force in May of 1973. May of 1973 is also when experts believe the Visalia ransacker crimes began. That's so crazy. Yeah, the burglary crimes. Hey, I'm on a burglary task force. And such a trope in fiction, right? Like uh, the – Oh, what was that movie about the crime scene photographer, Nightcrawlers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who who starts – Perpetrating crimes, does he? No, no, not really. really. Um, kind of. Yeah. Yes, well, he does. No, he do, he. That's true. He does. That's very true. He, but at first, it starts off that he's he's looking for the big scoops, mm-hmm. and then in order to get them, he kind of starts behaving uh, in a in a monstrous way. Yeah. He escalates. So, or, or like Dexter, for example. Not sure. that it's like a good show exactly, but you know, blood uh, mm-hmm. expert. Who is also a serial killer? Or uh, would Jude Law from Road to Perdition be an example? I do, wow, I don't remember. It's been a minute. What was he? What's his deal? I feel like we may be on the verge of a spoiler alert. It's okay if we if we say it. Okay, then it's okay. All right, just don't don't get Tom Hanks angry at us for spoiling his movies. Road oh, to Perdition spoiler coming in three, two, one. Jude Law's character is a photographer who is also killing people to get the best photographs of crime scenes. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Uh, But uh, this – and it's a solid film if you haven't seen it. Oh, it's coming back to me. I I haven't seen it since it was in the theaters, but now I'm I'm having flashes of it and it was quite good. Mm -hmm. One thing to point out here, in 1970, Joseph was uh, engaged – and then he got married in 1973 as well. If we're imagining – so he's got his professional life. Then he's also got his personal life that's going on. So he's engaged. And then three years later, he gets married at this, on, in the same year that the um, facility ransacker is right. operating. 
But he doesn't marry the woman he was originally engaged to. No. He marries someone different. Correct. And uh, in 75, as we said, Claude Snelling is murdered during the attempted kidnapping. Uh, There's an attempted murder of an officer, McGowan, in December of the same year uh, when the police got close to apprehending the ransacker. And then this is when not only does the ransacker disappear from Visalia, but someone uh, in Sacramento begins committing the East Area rapist crimes. For D'Angelo's part, he has relocated to the Auburn Police Department. Mm-hmm. So again, these relocations, at least timing-wise, begin to match up. And then in 1979, he gets caught and he's shop, but not for any of these major crimes. He gets caught shoplifting. It's a hammer and what was the other thing? Oh, uh, it, wa- it was not tape. Um, but yeah, he got shop- got caught shoplifting small items. Yeah, specifically I know a hammer was one of the major things. Was it the kind of items that you maybe wouldn't want a record of you having purchased? I don't know. It's It definitely seemed a bit strange, uh, right. specifically with that hammer. But the police department finds out because he is actually found guilty of shoplifting. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he gets fired from the Auburn Police Department in August of 79. And many people will tell you that there was a slight pause in crime at that time. That's not entirely true because in October of 79, we know that there was an attack that went wrong mm-hmm. on the on the EAR side on what would be classified as the original Night Stalker crimes and tried to break in and assault and murder a couple, but he botched it. Uh, then as the original Night Stalker, there is a, uh, the murder of Robert Offerman and Deborah Manning in December of 1979, the next month. There's a pause, March of 1980. Lyman and Charlene Smith are murdered in August. Keith and Patrice Harrington are murdered. Uh, at, during this time, uh, D'Angelo buys a home in a neighborhood called Citrus Heights. February 1981, a woman named Manuela Witton is murdered. And then to jump back into his personal life, uh, his first child is born in September 1981, another huge change in his life. And then you see that there's a bit of a break, a, a big gap here um, that happens after September 1981. Right. A five-year gap in May of uh, – so the murder before the child was – Sherry, Domingo, and Greg Sanchez in July 1981. Matt, as you said, September 1981. D'Angelo has his first child. and In Los Angeles, but he wasn't living there, was he? Uh, his child was born in Sacramento. And then, Matt, as you said, radio silence for five years, at least as far as we know. In May 1986, another murder is associated with the original Night Stalker. That is Janelle Cruz. And then that same year in November, um, he has his second child in Los Angeles. But did he live there for an extended amount of time? It seemed like he was sticking to the smaller areas. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that the murders, at least the documented ones, appear to have stopped at that time. Interesting. And as as we look, he continues on for a while to have a, a relatively normal life despite what some of us might assume about about killers and despite how we would assume having a criminal record for shoplifting would screw up your job prospects, 
he he seems to have continued. He stayed working at the same place until retirement, the Save Mart, which mm-hmm. was yeah. I guess he was like a loader or something in the in a in a distribution center or he definitely worked at the distribution center, and I'm assuming after working that many years, he probably moved up the ladder, but we don't have that information. Yeah, from August 1989, uh, he was working at that distribution center Noel mentioned in Roosevelt, California, and he worked there until what, 2017? Until last year? Yeah, that's retirement age. So he was settled in, and everything seemed to indicate that this guy would, you know, retire in relative obscurity. He was uh, living with one of his daughters at the time uh, and her husband. So that would put him today at uh, in the neighborhood of 72 years of age. Mm-hmm. And that would put the – assuming – and there's a big assumption that's probably incorrect. Assuming that all the crimes that occurred are the crimes we know about, uh, then that would put him at a – um, murder rate of 12 to 13 people, uh, 45 to 50 sexual assaults, more, easily more than 120 homes broken into. Yeah, and that's, of course, if he actually did all of these crimes. And that that's a very good point to make, if, of course, he actually did all of these crimes. He's being charged for several murders right now as we're recording this, but it's not all of them. Well, what's that based on, guys? What What, what do we actually know? We'll answer what might be the most important question in today's episode after a word from our sponsors. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All oh, my friends love it. I love that it's kid-safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. 
Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Here's where it gets crazy. This man, D'Angelo, was associated with these crimes, not through uh, a bunch of people digging through microfiche or hunting down old leads alone. No. This man was apprehended due to a lead they derived from DNA, a DNA database. So one of the first questions is, how did they find this DNA? Because clearly, like in the 1970s, for instance, they wouldn't have had the sophistication uh, in terms of technology to investigate this. You could find a loose leaf notebook or something, but you wouldn't automatically be able to pull that info off of it. Oh, totally. And when I first uh, saw this case, the story, I assumed that they had a sample of his DNA that ended up in one of these databases. But that's not quite how it went down, is it? No, not quite. It turns out that... They took crime scene DNA, which they had had from the time of the crimes, and ran it through various databases where all of a sudden, ding, 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 it showed a match to what would turn out to be one of D'Angelo's distant relatives, uh, someone who was who had their DNA in a public database. So let's, let's look at that arrest, though. Uh, it isn't until March of this year, as we record this, March 2018, that he is identified as a suspect in these, in these decade-old crimes via a public database. And what's strange about it happening in 2018 for a lot of people is the idea that, whoa, authorities would hold on to this information for – decades and not do anything. It, in 1986, DNA was just emerging as a criminal investigative tool. And according to the experts, D'Angelo, as a former police officer, would have probably, according to them, have known that this thing was on the way or there was a possibility at least. So when they, when they started looking for this, a lot of the stuff we read about says that uh, they, they found a match that was a distant relative. But what does that mean? Oh, well, it means that they, they took what they did have as far as DNA evidence from this killer. And they threw it into one of these uh, databases called gedmatch.com. And they found a fourth cousin of D'Angelo. Now, they have no idea at this point who D'Angelo is. They just know that this DNA matched, matches this person, at least in some way. And this person had used this GED match program already mm-hmm. and this, the service. And then they start looking through this person's family tree, this fourth cousin, and then they start trying to match up people's backgrounds from that family tree. And does anybody match up? Do they live in Vasilia around this time? Do they live in Sacramento around this mm. time? Um, and they start picking out a few people to look at and they eventually come upon Mr. D'Angelo. And uh, it's a really strange process how that I just happened to work. Well, do you remember on the um, the Here's Where It Gets Crazy episode, we talked about this whole thing and there was a story about this very same process that led them to like a fault positive. Um, oh, yeah. That can happen too because they they got a hit but the guy didn't match yeah. the criteria for the crime they were trying to, to solve. So they looked 
at like his son or something like that, and it matched a little more, and so they went with that, and then it ended up not being true. Yeah, well, in, in this case, the investigation is fascinating because they they got this match with the fourth cousin, then they actually start looking at this guy, and they start staking out his house for like six or seven days. Yeah, exactly, and they're looking at his trash. Mm. I mean, they don't they don't state specifically how they got the DNA samples, but they do say it was probably from a container. That he had drunken, he had taken a drink out of. Right. And they would watch him come in and out of his house. And they, you know, then they took that DNA sample and they tested it with the other DNA that they had from the previous case. And they went, oh boy, guess what? Somehow we got the guy. Mm-hmm. It's him. Yeah. And the match was not something that was contested. We can't be more clear about this. It, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, oh, this is a pretty good indicator. Let's see. No, this this was something that had been under investigation in a while for for some time. A criminologist in Contra Costa County, way back in two thousand and one, had linked two sets of uh, cases to the same individual thanks to DNA evidence. They just didn't know who it was. And that was the East Area Rapist and the original Night Stalker cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. To, to the point that, that you made, Noel, when they get the DNA, it, it led them to a number of people, right? And they had to separate timelines. So they had to spend this time surveilling this guy and going through his trash, most likely. Although they, they don't say it that way because I, I don't think they want that image of law enforcement to be, you know, they want to be presented as people digging through your trash. No. But, but they will. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they will. They have to. <laughs> well, and they, they you know, they're, there is a beyond 98% likelihood, beyond 99% likelihood that they have the right guy. This is the U.S., so technically he's innocent until proven guilty. Digging through trash is just good police work, my guys. I would agree. I would agree. And this this is where – the story stands. As the story emerges, we're going to hear new updates. We'll, we can go ahead and call it. We're inevitably going to hear, I think, the conviction of this criminal. Um, on a side note, the neighbors said the same things that you would hear about serial killers in works of fiction. They said he was kind of a recluse. We didn't think he was a killer or a monster. Uh, they did say he was prone to violent public outbursts. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but somehow he maintained it and kept it under control for years and years and years after his children were born, except mm-hmm. for one case right after his first daughter. Again, that is unless more stuff emerges, like we pointed out earlier, unless it comes out that he is implicated in other stuff. I would be – at this point, I'd be surprised because if there were DNA – leavings from other crimes, they would have also pinged on those databases, right? Yeah. Because those databases work together pretty well. And this leads into the larger implication, which is a, a big question for us today. What what does this mean for not just the like the DNA of criminals and these human monsters like serial killers, but what does this mean for you right now listening, your DNA? We talked a little bit about this with an excellent post um, in our community page. Like you mentioned, Noel, here's where it gets crazy. Uh, and sometimes 
the three of us are usually on the same page about a lot of things. I mean, we get along famously, but we might have some differing opinions about DNA testing. Like a, a number of people, and this is just personally, I've held off on some DNA testing due to privacy concerns. Yeah, it's a good call. And that seems to be a sentiment shared by many. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Noel, you had earlier mentioned uh, that you had experience with DNA testing from our earlier show, Stuff of Life. I did. And I kind of just threw myself into it like a big dummy thinking this will be cute and it's free. So why not? Um, kind of regretting it a little bit after digging into some of this stuff a little bit more. Not that I have anything to hide. Or that, dun, I'm dun, worried, dun. Or that I'm worried about, you know, the government making a clone army based on my pristine DNA. I sample. would do it if I could. Oh, buddy. That's really sweet. But but here's the deal, Noel. Yeah. The, what we found with this case is that it doesn't even matter if you have or have not submitted your DNA. Oh, exactly. That's, that's, what, that's why I said earlier when I first read the details of this, I'm like, oh, I guess he did one of those and, and they, they got access to it somehow. No, it was somewhere way down the line. You yeah. can't control. We haven't even met our fifth cousins. Ben and I did an episode about lineage in our other show, Ridiculous History. And the idea of knowing personally a fifth cousin was sort of absurd. Well, at least for uh, for us, for yeah, our yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Yes. that's what I meant, between between us. Um, uh, ben, I think you said you were aware of some fifth cousins, right. but you certainly aren't, uh, you know, taken in a movie of a weekend. Yeah, I come from a strange place. But, uh, but yeah, and Matt, you make an excellent point that in other cultures and places around the world, it's quite common to know your extended family or even live with them or, you know, maybe you're all in the same town or the same region. Mm -hmm. uh, not a lot of people here in the U.S. are that close and there are these implications that you mentioned. It's not somebody – it's not always going to be a case of someone signing up directly. We know that uh, the military – uh, as we mentioned earlier, we'll take DNA samples now. If you are uh, involved in law enforcement on the wrong side, yeah. if you get caught, then your DNA will go into a system. But the, the implications are that even if you say – like let's say – Matt, may I use you as an example? No. OK. Let's say that Paul uh, doesn't uh, – has never, never been to jail – because he's he's a paragon of uh, of uh, upstanding young gentlemanness, and let's say he was also never in the military or something like that, and let's say he also additionally never signed up for something like Twenty Three and Me or Ancestry dot com or anything like that. If, however, one of Paul's relatives uh, signs up for this thing, or if one of his relatives joins the right kind of organization or if, God forbid, they get in trouble with the law, then they will end up in the system, which means by extension, he has ended up in a system whether or not he agreed to be there. And in this case, it would be probably metadata on Paul. It wouldn't mm -hmm. actually have his DNA or anything, right? I mean, that's how this whole thing would work. It's just you're in the system now because you are related in some way. Right. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about how this data is supposed to be uh, made anonymous. I can't pronounce it. Can you help me out? Anonymized? There we go. Hole in one. Yes. Uh, anonymity. Anonymity. My enemy's anonymity. And enmity. And enmity. Uh, means many things to me if we're just going to finish the poem. But, but the, the strange thing here is that 
we, you know, we can't help but think of the comparison to big data and Facebook or the so-called frictionless sharing, right? Uh, We have friends who have never been on Facebook and never want to be for various reasons of their own, but because they know us or because if you have friends like this, they know you, Facebook has a shadow profile on them. And again, for anyone who heard our Cambridge Analytica episode, Facebook doesn't like us to call them shadow profiles. Yeah, it sounds spooky. Yeah, but literally everybody else except for Facebook calls them shadow profiles. I wonder what, the, what their internal nomenclature is for it. I don't know. Maybe they call them like head start profiles. Fun pages. Fun pages. <laughs> Party profiles. So right now, there's no escaping that this this stuff has made life massively better or at the very least provided some sense of closure for people who are survivors of victims of these horrific atrocities But that doesn't mean that we should forget the implications. At least that's what a lot of critics are saying about this stuff. Once you give that data away, you yourself have little to no legal legal protection regarding what happens to that information and you have no control over where it ultimately ends up. We found a – We found an interesting take on this from the Parallax, which does a a pretty solid job of painting the background here of the the current industry and where it seems set to go. Yeah, there are a lot of um, possible positives that that are here in Mm -hmm. this industry. So it says, quote, the consumer DNA market is poised to become the $10 billion business by 2022. Dozens of companies sell home DNA kits – uh, some like Ancestry.com and Family Tree DNA allow you to divine your ethnic background and connect you with dif- uh, distant relatives. Others like 23andMe can also identify genes linked to 10 diseases, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and celiacs. Mine didn't do any of that stuff. See, 23andMe is pretty cool in that regard. And, I mean, it's pretty great. You can see ads for these services – uh, they talk about how millions of people are already using them. Why don't you join in and let's well, sure, all find out? Say. Well, I mean, yeah, because they got to get that money. Um, but what they don't tell you is that unlocking your genetic code could also get you into trouble, legal trouble specifically. It can also prevent you from getting life insurance if you find something in your DNA that you didn't know was there before. And now your insurance company is all like – uh, yeah. Yeah, man. It's, at least if you, like, lie on your um, insurance papers and say you don't smoke and then they, like, ransack mm-hmm. your Facebook page and find a picture of you smoking. Yeah. Okay. That's all in good fun. <laughs> they, you know, you, they, they, they gave good chase, whatever. This is like, you know, yeah. this is it. Yeah. Well, he, here's the worst one for you. What if you, let's say, do 23andMe, then you find out, oh, wait, that's not my dad. That would be pretty messed up, right? Are you my dad, Matt? I'm just saying. Well, well, you'll find out one day soon, Uh, son. uh, No, daddy. (laughs) No, but like this is a genuine thing that I'm assuming has happened. I haven't seen it reported. It has, but surely, like you, you, you understand the risk of of finding out something. Like maybe you don't, though. Maybe that's the thing. You think that just pops up as a notification? (laughs) Oh, that's not your dad. That's not your dad. (laughs) Maybe they send like a very avuncular 
guy to come mm. in and break the news to you while he takes you fishing or something? It's one of these things, too. Mm. If we start, like, really, like, we're going down a rabbit hole here, but getting into the territory of targeted ads, what if you start getting ads targeted at you because of your DNA information? Mm. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it is completely – it used to be possible. We're about two years from it being plausible. And it's a spooky escalation. Like in the same way that person got um, an ad for a baby product right. before knowing – no, the father, I think. The household yeah. uh, received an ad for um, – In the mail. For expectant mothers. Mm-hmm. And that's how they found out that their daughter was pregnant. Target yeah. literally knew before they do. That's why they're called Target. Boy, no kidding, man. And now whenever uh, – I, I don't know about you. I don't want to ruin this for anybody who still receives those circulars and those – you know, those slightly better quality than straight-up newspaper yeah. coupon books. Yeah. The but, plum? <laughs> That's the one I get. I don't know. Uh, when, when I receive those now, ever since we, we did that episode and looked into that stuff, I always get a little freaked out. And I always try to treat it like a magic eight ball or some tea leaves for the uh, believers in uh, prognostication. You know, I always, I always wonder, like, what, what, what do they know about me that made them think I need a deck? At this point, I just kind of wish they would deliver my mail directly into the trash. Yeah, so it saved me a, a, a trip. I use it for art projects. That's cool. You're a very enterprising and earth friendly um, individual. Cheap is another way to put it. Noel. Yep, that's yep. <laughs> but uh, or thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. If you get that right in, uh, there's a there's a real world example of this stuff happening. At least the life insurance stuff happening. In 2016, uh, a writer named Christina Farr, writing for Fast Company, gave us the story of someone identified as Jennifer Marie, not the real name, to protect their privacy, although the horse may have already left the barn there. Uh, At the time, she was 36, gainfully employed, and had no current medical issues. But on September 15th of 2015, her application for life insurance was denied. And here's the quote they used. Unfortunately, after carefully reviewing your application, we regret that we are unable to provide you with the coverage because of your positive BRCA1 gene, the letter reads. In the U.S., for background, Far writes, about 1 in 400 women have a BRCA1 or 2 gene, and it's associated with an increased risk of breast or ovarian cancer. Wow. So she was denied that. Because she had done one of these tests? Because uh, the insurance company had access to that genetic information. So now does that qualify as a as a pre-existing condition? Does, you know, is it something where we would have to say from the life insurance company and, you know, of course, this is U.S., this is privatized insurance. From the life insurance company's perspective, is it a matter of in the long run, protecting the rest of their customers. So they don't go under, you mean? Right. Is that part of it? How do they How do they address that? How do they process that? Stop being private companies selling health insurance. That's, lot, how, that's how they fix that. A lot of people would make that argument. But there is, there is hope uh, in form of the Genetic Non-Discrimination Act, which we mentioned, I think, previously as well also known as GINA. It is meant to prohibit employers and health insurers from using your genetic info against you. 
However, it is uh, full of loopholes and Congress is going to Swiss cheese it a little bit more. And this goes back to that question we asked before. Um, we received a fantastic comment regarding the, the idea of um, how to prioritize technological pro progress and potential gains, right? If we're risking ruining the lives and the, the livelihoods of a few people, certainly, maybe more than we think, uh, is that worth the potential of saving maybe hundreds of thousands or even millions of lives down the line? I mean, this, this becomes a very deep dilemma very quickly. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? We talked about a little bit about this earlier. I definitely see the side and mentioned this in the other episode that we just recorded. Just I do see this as being a great thing potentially in the long run, specifically fixing a lot of these genetic disorders just by having enough data because that's one of the biggest problems is not being able to track DNA over time and looking at how these specific sequences actually change a human being's development. I think it could be huge. And it could be exactly what we need. But is it, it for everybody, though? Like, is it is it is it going to mean that the wealthy are going to be prioritized and be able to, you know, extend their lives and the lives of their offspring by having access to this because mm -hmm. of their wealth? Certainly, yes, that's what will happen um, until there's some big change. And and here's the here's the other thing: <laughs> what happens when, let's just say, the wrong group of people ends up getting in power somehow and there are all of these databases that can be found and someone in power wants to, let's say, get rid of certain types of DNA in the culture. Right. Mass eugenics or something. You've got literally all of the data that you would ever need for that. If, you know, it's compulsory and everyone eventually one day signs up for something like this because you kind of have to. And instead of present your papers – the way it was in various world wars, it's spit into this tube and stand here yeah. and wait. I mean, that's a that's a terrifying thing. We'd all like to think it's it's far it's far off, right? Or that it's not actually going to happen. It's sort of a NIMBY process, mm -hmm. not in my backyard. But at this point, you know, again, if you haven't written into us about this, we 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 want to hear from you. Where do you fall? on this side of the line. Uh, and we want to end today's episode with, first off, a, a clear admission. Again, Joseph James D'Angelo has not been convicted. He is, he is talking, from what we understand, and he is confessing, but that doesn't – he hasn't had the court time yet, although it's, it's pretty much a clear-cut case. Do we know anything about his mental state? Apparently, aside from the violent outburst, uh, he does appear lucid, interesting. Which yeah. is which is interesting, and you know, right now, given the time that's elapsed, if there are other crimes or murders, he is literally the best chance of finding them. Oh yeah, and and every day we're finding out new things. I would follow the Sacramento Bee online if you can. You have the time to do it, and you're interested in this case. There are all kinds of new little stories about maybe he had an accomplice during some of these crimes. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was a breakup that sent him on that first uh, raping spree. The unsuccessful engagement. Yeah. I mean there's all – there are all kinds of interesting things coming out and I just have to say like we said before, the Sacramento Bee is the place that I'm finding them the soonest. And we have 
one other thing here, uh, not not a conclusion. There's not really a conclusion to this story yet, and uh, not not a shout out corner. Though we will be returning that segment soon. We have something that when we were talking about this uh, off off air, we were all texting each other as we were, as we were working on this. And Noel, you pointed out to us uh, another recent development involving DNA and killers. And the Sacramento Bee. Um, they, I believe, were first on the scene to report that police in Vallejo um, have obtained DNA supposedly linked to the Zodiac killer and that it's being processed in a lab and we could see results any day now. This was on May the 2nd. And they're probably going to do a lot of the same things here or Mm -hmm. at least potentially doing the same things, finding that match, linking that up, and then going from there. Familial searches. Looking looking in that trash again. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Going through belongings. Yeah. You know, there's not really a different way to phrase it. But today, this ends our episode for now, our update on the Golden State Killer, a.k.a. the Diamond Knot Killer, a.k.a. the original Night Stalker, a.k.a. the East Area Rapist and Vesalia Ransacker. Uh, we would like to hear from you. What, what do you think will be the results of this? What do you think of a world wherein for the greater good, everyone's DNA is considered part of this large – database would uh do you think the benefits outweigh the negatives i mean in this case it seems pretty clear cut that they do i propose that it's very similar to requiring you this is going to be controversial maybe to register your car your car has Mm. to be in a database because it could either allow you to escape from a criminal act Mm. or you could even use it as a weapon it is a very powerful thing um and you can't have a car unless you register it you can do all those things with your with the human body. So, yeah, I'll, that that logic. I mean, I'm not saying that I necessarily support that, but I could see yeah. law enforcement surely thinking that this is something that uh, would be very helpful and important to solving crimes. But at the risk of of what privacy mm-hmm. and uh, it's my DNA. You also have a, a requirement to have a license to operate a car. Would you have? Would that lead into having a license? To reproduce, I mean, and I'll double down on, no, you're right, on, on controversy here. Uh, there are inevitably some some of you listening are are going to see the the potential parallel thread between registering a car, registering DNA, registering a firearm. If we're going to go controversial, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's a really interesting argument, Noel. Because you can't have an unregistered car. Yeah. But you're right, though. When you start going, you know, taking that and taking it to, well, what if then you you, you need a, a license to reproduce? Or then we start entering when we start when we start putting our physical forms into the into the equation and treating them as though we as though it were a motor vehicle or a gun or something like that. That really opens up a lot of a lot of worm cans. It is interesting. A lot how, of badger bags. No, uh, badger dude, badgers. Yes. I am. It's so weird. I would have been so against this, like a thousand percent against all of this. And for some reason, somehow as I'm getting older, oh gosh, you guys, I'm kind of like, well, let's get everyone a DNA scan and put it on a tattoo and then their arms and they're registered. And if anyone doesn't know, no, 
Uh, we will find you. A no-no? Yes, if you no-no, then we get you. I love this voice. It sounds like he's either got loose dentures or he's also eating cottage cheese. I'm not sure. Uh, the cottage cheese is one of the finest foods you can eat. I would recommend it early in the morning and later in the afternoon and also early at night. <laughs> Well, you know what, Matt? I, I have to say thank you so much for giving us a note of levity. Gracing us. Yeah, gracing us. Oh my is goodness that gracious. That was saying, I can't stop smiling at that, <laughs> old man Matt. And that's what happens, too. You get old, you start to decide you want to give up all your civil liberties, or at least the young whippersnappers mm. should. Mm-hmm. Right. But, I agree. Yeah, with, with, with those realizations, also your voice changes, and you start to sound like a very, very old man. Yeah, it's mostly the... The testicular droop, I think, is what causes that. <laughs> I, I keep trying to get a rise out of Paul Mission Control Deccan, and he's just not even. No, that's not true. You're not seeing him from the angle is. that I'm seeing him. He's, oh, okay. he, he, he had a, <laughs> he had a, he's got a smirk. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got a bit of a glimmer of a, of a smile. All right. <laughs> and as always, we want to thank you for tuning in. You are the most important part of the show, and we would like to hear from you. Tell us, what do you think about DNA collection and all of this stuff? Do you think they got the right person? Do you think there's someone else out there? What, what, what else do you think about the East Area Rapist? Have you ever lived in any of those places? How did these crimes affect you growing up? Just anything you want to talk about. Is there another serial killer that you think we need to jump and jump into a little bit deeper or maybe information about the Zodiac Killer? Because that may potentially be an episode coming up with all the, the uh, things happening right now with that case. Talk to us. Let us know. You can hit us up on Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. uh, most of the social medias. Um, we are Conspiracy Stuff on Facebook. We are Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. And if you have a cool story, a little a little missive, uh, something about growing up in one of these areas, we would love it if you left us a voicemail. Please. We are. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is one eight three three stdwytk If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. 
I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.